0: It's November 11th, and this is a special edition, a Remembrance Day edition of Real Talk. We think a powerful show in store. This show is brought to you, of course, as always, by our presenting partners at Bitcoin. Well, they're, as far as we know, the world's first Bitcoin ATM company that's publicly traded, certainly the first in Canada. If you have questions about Bitcoin, Ethereum, the blockchain, These words you keep on hearing, my recommendation personally is to do what I do with your questions and take them to Adam and more specifically, Benny. He's the guy that takes my ongoing questions at Bitcoin Well. You'll find them under the sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com.
1: Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: In about 10 minutes, authors and historians Ted Barris and Don Leavers will join us. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Both of them uh, have, have uh, I mean, got really unique and interesting perspectives on, I know what Remembrance Day means to them. That's kind of going to be our first question, the most important question to every guest that we speak with today. What, is, what does Remembrance Day mean to you? And then we'll get into some of their work and um, and, and in particular their writing uh, it's been a while since I've spoken with Ted. As a matter of fact, I think Sarah, the last time that I talked to Ted Barris was when he released his book *Fire Canoe*, which is a great book about the, the history of steamboats in Canada and what they did to transportation and industry. He's uh, uh, he's got a fascinating insight as a historian, and of course, uh, in in this context. Um, very much looking forward to his book uh, and and to hearing him talk about it. Days of Victory, Canadians remember nineteen thirty nine to nineteen forty five. Don Levers is the author of Our Father's Footsteps. It's a book about four men who survived their so called "what if" moments after landing on D Day. When I hear think about these landings on D Day, I can't even wrap my mind around it. We've been wearing poppies for you know I guess the better part of a couple of weeks now. And you always try to think when you put the poppy I don't know about you you put it on the whole point is like you take a second when you're putting it on not just when you wear it but you take a second when you're putting it on to think about things and we're going to be seeing photos today and we'll see some video and we'll hear some stories uh, about people including Stephen Ferry who is a medic who served his country in Afghanistan he'll be joined by Catherine O'Neill a good friend of mine a good friend of the show a former war correspondent for the Globe and Mail and we'll hear his story but I think of people that have have uh, served their country people that have have served in different contexts in different wars in different conflicts perhaps in peacekeeping missions and I realized that uh, you know part of me thinks I don't know if I have it in me and the other part of me thinks that I I think thousands of people probably thought the same thing uh, when they were tapped on the shoulder so to speak to serve and today we remember people that were not necessarily born to be soldiers, but people who answered that call and people who at times, I'm sure, were terrified. I think as Remembrance Day has, uh, as more and more have gone by, I was going to say as Remembrance Day has evolved, I'm not sure it has, but maybe what it's meant to people has evolved. Uh, but as the years have gone by, it's started to mean different things. I think that, that for people of our vintage, Remembrance Day for many years was a look back at World Wars one and two and now I think that you know people that are currently in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s have served their country in different ways including Afghanistan as an example as we've learned more about the many costs of conflict including the mental health impacts of service including the impact of conflict and war on the on the home front, so to speak, what it's done to families. Our understanding of what November 11th or what the poppy means has changed. I hope it's fair that I put you on the spot. Sam, this is your heads up. You'll probably be put on the spot today too. What does Remembrance Day mean to you, Sarah Hoyles, the producer of this show?
2: Did put me on the spot. Um, I think it's about reflection. I also think about, I mean, I can't help but make it, uh, it, it just kind of hits home thinking about the lives in my life that were drastically impacted, mm. uh, permanently impacted because of, I mean, the war that I think of is world war Two. Um, or Sorry, World War I, where my great-grandfather served and was killed. And uh, he was a lieutenant, lieutenant rather. Whoa, I'm going to get in trouble for saying lieutenant.
0: You caught yourself. I did. Who is this that we're seeing on the screen right this now? This
2: is my great-grandfather, Hugh Lewis Hoyles. And he served in Vimy and Passchendaele. Wow. Um, and he was killed, I guess, instantly uh, on August 12th. 1918 he was just 38 years old I just had to do the math and was like 38 he had two kids had and two kids yeah my grandfather was just a, a young boy and he lost his
0: dad does your did your grandpa does your grandpa did your grandpa remember his dad was he old enough to remember his dad did, did he did
2: he talk about it you know um just my he's granddaddy my granddaddy um he was a very reserved man <laughs> and he died when I was quite young so I, I don't know the stories that I get are from my dad and from my auntie Liz and they helped me to to know who he was he was a lawyer in Toronto and uh, he was uh, he headed up Osgood Hall which uh, was the law school and uh, I guess I'm always like what was he like tell me what was he like
0: <laughs> yeah um, of course you're curious yeah you want to know and, you know, we think of these lives that are uh, I hope it doesn't come across as disrespectful to say snuffed out uh, oh, lives yeah. that are lost, uh, you know, in, in service. And, and and people, of course, think of um, there, there are many uh, interpretations of Remembrance Day and there are many different ways to approach Thinking about war or service or conflict, mm. I don't think that it's disrespectful to to comment on what, in many circumstances, seems like the senselessness of war, yes. uh, the folly of war. You know what hu- human nature the, the 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 drive to conflict or to fight, and we think of the the, the millions of people. Uh, who have lost their lives in conflict around the world i'll be reading from the live chat today today's show is going to have a bit of a different vibe Uh, you know it's uh if you're joining us outside of canada this may be an obvious thing for me to point out but but let me say it's a it's a stat holiday remembrance day is a stat holiday and we talked to the team and and we felt like it was important to do a show today and we wanted to be here today. We, we probably think all the, the technical things, you know, it's tacky or weird to bring up. No, our, our live tuning will be a little bit less today and more and more people will access our content later in the day because other people and many of our audience members have their own Remembrance Day traditions. People will be making their way to cenotaphs today. People will be participating in Remembrance Day exercises today. Uh, we are asking you what you think of on remembrance day what does remembrance day mean to you every november 11th what do you think of and i'll be reading from the live chat and i've also pushed out a tweet you can find it i tweet at ryan jesperson where i let you know it's it's a special remembrance day edition of real talk today i think of my grandfather stanley Wilfred jesperson every november 11th who is so proud to have served his country during the second world war yeah color blindness kept stanley wilfred from flying Hmm. and so he was an aircraft mechanic and he was so proud to serve the royal canadian air force and uh he would he would don his uniform for many many years i mean i remember it so that means i would have been at least you know probably eight or ten or twelve at the earliest time i would have seen it and uh and he would he was a, a beautiful i'm gonna start Crying. I'm just talking about it, just thinking about him. Just the most amazing guy. Anyway, um, but uh, he was a beautiful trumpet player. He played trumpet just mm. beautifully. out had this beautiful baritone voice. Amazing musician. and uh, But he would play the last post every Remembrance Day on his trumpet. And it was just so powerful for our family. So I think of my grandpa. I think of Stanley Wilford Jesperson today, out of the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a proud Air Force I-
2: serviceman. I love looking at that photo. just looking at it on Twitter. Oh, let me call
0: it back up again because I would love to look at it again too.
2: The likeness.
0: Right. Oh, do you see one? I do. Really? Yeah. The eyes. That's my dad's dad. And He was the he was the city slicker. He left the farm. He left the family dairy farm and he was the city slicker. <laughs> he was the one kid, the city slicker, and that's uh, you know, he is one of the reasons why I did not grow up doing chores on a farm. So maybe I owe him my thanks. I don't know. <laughs>
2: I'm just We're grateful uh,
0: for everybody that does that
2: I mean it it's just so neat to know that like he's a part of you,
0: oh yeah, major,
2: um like genetically, but also um yeah. your memories that's yeah,
0: yeah he well he was he taught me, i would think probably in and, and i would every every person has their own frame of reference when we ask someone what what does remembrance day mean to you today for some people. Remembrance Day is extremely painful mm. Right for For many people Remembrance Day is very painful for some It's meaningful for some for some people some people Would decline to participate in Remembrance Day I mean it's it's it, it can be one of these sort of Complicated things I would Think what I took from Stanley Wilfred uh, From my paternal grandfather was probably The reverence of it all Like mm. I, I just remember how it, it was Just very he was just Very It was, it was very meaningful to him and he was very proud to have served. Sean has uh, chimed in on Twitter and he says, My grandfather's Merle and George both served during World War II along with numerous uncles. He says, My dad and uncle were both in the Royal Canadian Air Force post war. He says, My seven year old son learned about Remembrance Day for the first time this year and he colored a poppy for his grandfather. He's going to hand deliver it. Check this out. This is Sean's little guy. His seven-year-old son coloring poppies to be delivered to grandpa How much do you think that's going to mean? Olwen And i'm reading this by the way i'm reading these cold so these are not proofed or screened So i'm just going to get to what they say Olwyn says something that's never talked about people that were from the wrong side of the war That immigrated to canada in the early 1950s Says my father was a pilot in the second world war for germany And he married my mom who is a british nurse isn't that interesting? Uh, says mom served in many places, including Egypt. Wow. Audra says my son's father was gravely injured in Afghanistan and he fought to get home. And I'm grateful every day for his service. That from Audra. Thanks for sharing. Ramey says we remember all sor- soldiers, but I think more of Buckham Singh. He was one of only nine sick soldiers soldiers who served in the canadian army during the first world war ramey says being a sick myself it's a different kind of pride and honor and and ramey shares this link i'm going to click on it here so you can see it if you're watching us on youtube but if you're listening to this on the podcast you can check out SikhMuseum.com. s-i-k-h museum.com slash buckham b-u-c-k-a-m the story of a sick canadian War hero. I love this. I'm looking forward to going to this today and to reading more of your tweets and to remembering People who have served through different Conflicts. Meg shares a story of her grandpa stan. I love it. Meg Says he enlisted right at the start And was in europe for four years. He drove an artillery vehicle. He was a terrible driver <laughs> But because he was from new westminster the army thought he must be a good driver <laughs> Meg says he was the most kind person I've ever met and I miss him oh amazing
2: I love that like just how humanizing that is yes and that you know we it is a time to reflect and like somber reflection but it's also that these people were human and that they had humor yeah and that they, oh yeah like they had quirks, as we all do and uh that's kind of one of my favorite things about yes.
0: um i watched 1919 for the first time uh i talked about it on the show when i watched it because i was embarrassed that it had taken me so long to watch it yeah i think it was two months ago or something and i watched it like full volume let the subwoofers <laughs> bounce a little bit let yeah. the speakers do their work because you have to it's a phenomenal film and one of my favorite things about um, war movies, I think, and storytelling, and I'll be really curious to hear, like, oh, we have two storytellers. I mean, the whole day is storytellers today. Mm. And so we we, uh, we hope that this is something that, that, you know, you can participate in this episode of Real Talk and just 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 absorb What these stories will have for us So Ted Barris and Don Levers In just a little bit Stacey Barker will join us From Canada War Museum To talk about women in service Women in war And then uh, as mentioned Globe and Mail Former war correspondent Catherine O'Neill Will talk to us about Stephen Ferry Stephen's going to join us too Which will be amazing But it's those down times Those moments like in the foxhole Or in the trenches um, Where they're like You know before anybody knew It was bad for you (laughs) And as as a matter of fact When you're dodging bullets Who cares Smoking ciggies you know, and maybe the odd person had a flask, and and people are wrestling with demons. Let's you know be clear about that too, right? We didn't, you know, we didn't we didn't understand about mental health and PTSD and all those things. You know, people came back, and and there were all these kind of phrases for how you might refer to somebody shell shock uh, shell shock, right? We have a different name for shell shock right it's like in sports you know that he got his bell rung she got her bell rung we know what that means now mm-hmm. serious implications on brain injury but not the point the point is just that there these were regular folks it's it's one thing i hope this doesn't get to, to be too abstract of a thought but this is the way my brain works we were on our way back from saskatchewan Thanksgiving we went out to the family farm to to visit and uh there was a military I guess I guess you'd call it a convoy in North Battleford gassing up and it's quite a sight for a little six-year-old boy it was quite a sight for his dad too but a lot of military vehicles all sorts of armored carriers and and um, you know you have the sort of uh, what do you call it like the canvas the tarp covered transport trucks and the 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 little jeep Sort of units, but they're not jeeps. They're like those old school, cool looking military trucks, and of course, soldiers, men and women. I would, I would expect three dozen of them or so. And so Wyatt was just wide eyed, mm. and um, he said, "Would it be okay if we kind of walked over there and if, if I said hi and if I waved at them, I said they would love that." Aww. And he said, "What should I say?" He's six, and I said, "Well, you can say." I'm Feeling emotional today. I'm not sure why I'm just gonna tell everybody today. I'm feeling like my emotions are like right here mm. <laughs> Right right below my chin. And so I don't know. I'm feeling like I'm gonna Anyway, that's okay. It's okay on a date like today. I think maybe just the magnet. I don't know something's something's working within me today But I said to Wyatt I said one thing you can say to the men and women that serve is thank you for your service That's something that would probably mean a lot to them. And I was thinking of it as we left North Battleford and we're on our way back on the Elhead Highway and and that the convoy went the other way. And I wondered what they were up to. And I thought, you know, it's one thing. I mean, we're so grateful that people sign up to serve and it's not for everybody. And it's a it takes a big toll on families and you can be deployed somewhere and you're gone for months. And even if it's something, I mean, I think of that horrific uh, that that friendly fire disaster where an American plane, you know, shot. and and killed took the lives of four Canadians I think of these exercises people are killed in training it's happened in in Wainwright which is just about an hour and a half from us here in Alberta's capital city I mean these things happen and um and and people sign up to serve and oftentimes we might wonder kind of to be honest why but I think because they're wired a certain way and they want to serve their country and that's how they see themselves contributing and maybe for some of them you know, something happened when they were like three or four or five or six that resonated with them and and prompted them to serve their country. And then there are people during like the world wars and, and maybe it was more of a thing, you know, we hear of the draft and, you know, Vietnam and the United States and all that. But people that basically in the Second World War that were like you said, a lawyer in Toronto with two young kids and now you're going to fight. And I often think and and I guess this is kind of the whole point or one of the whole points of Remembrance Day it's like what's that like for somebody that was not born to be a soldier so to speak somebody that had this really burning innate desire to serve their country what's that like i would imagine it would be terrifying for starters how do you wrap your mind around it that's what we'll endeavor to discuss today and we want to hear your insights as well so it, whether you're watching us live you can you can hit us up on the live chat or you can use the hashtag #RealTalkRJ. of course our show happens because we have amazing partners And we're going to be mentioning them today One of those partners is Park Power Right now if you take your business to Park Power Electricity, internet, or natural gas If you use the promo code 2021 talk, You're going to save $70 off your first bill They're your friendly local utilities provider And they take 10% of their profits on electricity And they plug them back in Couldn't help myself to the community nonprofits. as a matter of fact when you go on their website you'll see what I'm talking about you can go through the list and look at the list of charities that they support it's what we love about them check them out today at parkpower.ca also a big shout out to our friends at Jet Set Parking I'm happy to let you know that there's been a bit of a move at the airport they've moved the Jet Set parking lot back to where it was if you've never been there before don't worry about it's not important but why this matters why it's worth mentioning is that we're able to offer you that parking at an even lower rate. So if you go to jetsetparking.com right now, flying out of Edmonton International Airport, if you use the promo code REALTALK to book any parking at the airport from now to the end of 2022, the promo code REALTALK is going to get you parking for $5 a day. How wild is that? You take on some unexpected expenses while you're traveling. Don't let your parking be one of them. $5 a day at jetsetparking.com with the promo code Real RealTALK. Also a big shout out to our friends at Kubi Energy. I'm so excited to see what Jake and his team are building there. Their solar solutions, different applications, commercial, industrial, residential. They're doing a lot of work in agriculture and they're plugged in on the sense of understanding and knowing about government incentives. In other words, cash in your pocket to make it more affordable. You don't have to do all the digging. Make it a quick call. Start online at kubienergy.ca for your free quote. Well, these next two authors, uh, it's been my pleasure to know them for a number of years. Every single time we talk, it's a fascinating exercise. Uh, they care deeply about their subject matter, and it's an honor to have them join us here today on Remembrance Day. Ted Barris is a freelance journalist, a broadcaster, an author. Uh, you may have heard him on CBC radio. You may have read his work in the National Post, the Globe and Mail. He, he's taught journalism for nearly 20 years. He's written 19 nonfiction books coming up tomorrow. He'll be speaking at Festival Place about his book, Days of Victory, Canadians Remember 1939 to 1945. Don Leavers is an author and historian, one of the most passionate storytellers I've known in my career. Uh, He's got two new books coming out this next year, including Our Father's Footsteps, a story of four men who survived their so-called what-if moments after landing on D-Day. Ted Barris, Don Leavers, welcome to the show. Uh, Don, it's nice to see your face again. Last time I saw you, it was in a radio studio and and you were you were in the early stages. You were putting your draft together of our father's footsteps. You you care very deeply about the art of storytelling and in particular about the service of, of Canadian men and women who have, have certainly contributed to efforts abroad for, for many years. What does Remembrance Day mean to you and
3: this year? what are you thinking about what's on your mind today good morning thanks for having me back and it is different to be sitting here talking to you and and it's it's nice to be able to see you in person again soon hopefully you'll be able to do it in the same room you bet but i am what you say is a storyteller and i often think of myself as just that not i'm not an author ted is ted is an author ted is a real historian i'm just a i'm just a storyteller i tell children's stories and And uh, so then I began working on Our Father's Footsteps, and it's made me feel like a historian uh, because of the work that I've done to delve into it. And one of the things that uh, you mentioned earlier, getting all choked up, and I have to tell this story because when we were on the Juneau Beach in 2019, I met Ted for the first time. I'd seen his programs before, but I met him for the first time. And uh, I said, geez, I got this interview with Jalen Nye and and Gord Stanky tonight, and and I don't know how I'm going to tell the story because I'm so – did you see that statue down there? I I mean, I was just a wreck. And he says, you know what you're going to do? You're going to get a grip. Ten o'clock that night, I I went on the air live with Jay Lynn and Gord at Ted, and uh, but it, he he was like my commanding officer. Get a grip, kid. Get out there and do it. <laughs> so thank you very much, Ted. You got me through those interviews.
0: Well,
4: Ted, Don, I, it was a
3: pleasure.
0: Yeah, is have you ever had to rally someone before to to, to tell a story like that? that that that's the first time I've heard this one.
4: Well, it wasn't so much a rally as a harnessing. I mean you can tell from and by the way thank you ryan for having me and and being part of this conversation what was great for me at that moment um i don't know that i was quite that brusque with you don but what i probably said to you was you've got energy you've got passion you've got a handle on a story let it be yours go for it you can tell it because nobody knows it but you and when you deliver it the way you have in the new book obviously it means a great deal to you and you don't have to be a professional author to have passion and you have it, and the story is there. So congratulations.
3: Thank you. You asked, uh, Ryan, what uh, D-Day meant, or what, uh, sorry, what Remembrance Day means. And when I grew up, my dad never participated. He wasn't a Legion member. Um, and it wasn't until I got into the Army Cadets when I was about 12 that I started doing the poppy sales downtown Vancouver. And by the end of my time with the Cadets, uh, before I retired as a uh, uh captain in in the uh, Army Cadet Corps, Um, I was leading the uh, cadets through the Cenotaph Parade in downtown Vancouver. And that's when it really took on a meaning. However, the real, I think D-Day, or see, I keep coming back to D-Day, but Remembrance Day is different for everybody. And my trip to Normandy and seeing the headstones in uh, the Beni Sumer Cemetery of people my dad knew, that became the real uh remembrance day for me and that's it right there and uh so those things were extremely powerful seeing the uh, men that my dad mentioned in his letters and seeing the headstones and it was um it was incredible and in this past week listening to other uh historians and bloggers and uh, battlefield historians talking about all these stories has been remarkable i think ted you can probably agree with that
4: Oh, absolutely. And and I want to pick up on your point of your relationship with your dad. Ryan, if I could tell a, a quick story about my dad. It doesn't
0: have to be quick. You, please okay, do.
4: Okay. You, you talked about uh, uh, Stanley Wilfred, I, I guess your grandfather. And, and, and obviously the moment you said th- those names, you, your face lit up because you're thinking of him. You can see him and what he stood for. My father was fairly well known in this country. Alex Barris was his name. He was a national journalist and broadcaster, as I have tried to be over the years. Um, He got the Order of Canada for his work on chronicling Canadian entertainers over the 20th century. But before all of that, he was an American. He was born in New York City, and in my last book, the one that came out in 2019, Rush to Danger, I explored his role in the Second World War as an American medical corpsman in the worst battle the Americans faced in the Second World War, the Battle of the Bulge. Now my dad grew up in New York City, and I knew nothing of, of his experience until I was about 14. That's 57, eight years ago, so you can do the math. Um, and I was in an accident, laid up at home, and my dad, who was a great storyteller, so I guess perhaps I got a little bit of that from him, he came in and he regaled me with stories to humor me, because I had a, I'd broken a nose and lost some teeth. And he was sitting at the bedside telling me stories, and I said, Dad, what did you do in the war? And he told me he was a medic. So then as my only my father could, he started to tell me all the funny stories. So he said, you know, we, when I was in training in Kansas, he said, we hated the cook. So we sabotaged his food. He said every day after breakfast, he got two sandwiches for lunch when they went off training somewhere. And he said, all morning long, I looked for a guy who hated peanut butter as much as I hated bologna. So I could have two peanut butter sandwiches for lunch. <laughs> and, and he said, when the war was over, they were in Czechoslovakia and they stole a Jeep to get to Prague because he always wanted to get to Prague. Anyway, so he sideswiped me away from the tough part of being a medic into the funny stories. And then at the end of my conversation with him uh, about that, and when I was 14, I said, did you get any any recognition? And he gave me this ribbon with a gong on it. And I didn't think anything more of it, forgot about it. Years go by, my dad and I start to broadcast together. We co-authored a couple of books Uh, We did a book called Days of Victory, which I'm going to be quoting from and and spending some time on tomorrow night. We we wrote the first draft of that in 1995. Anyway, um, thank you (laughs) for showing it. Um, Then uh, in uh, about 2015, after dad had been dead for several years, I went to the States to find a story. I went to St. Louis Records. Uh, There had been a fire at the records Uh, depot in st louis and when i got the photocopies of his records they were singed around the outside so this stuff had just about been incinerated Mm. at the records keeping place i found a guy in new jersey place called Elizabethtown, um, on the coast who had actually served with dad as a fellow medic guy named tony malachi still alive 99 years old he celebrates his 100th next year so he was like a father to me as i put this together and tony told me he said you know what your dad did don't you I said, well, he was a medic with you in the Battle of the Bulge. He said, yeah. On February the 14th, they're in a place called Camp Holtz Woods. Now the, the Americans are pushing back against the battle in the Battle of the Bulge, pushing the Germans back into Germany. And they're at a place called Camp Holtz Woods. My dad set up a first aid station. He's bringing in the wounded from the battlefield. Tony is putting them in the, with a the motor pool into the ambulances and taking them farther back. And he said, on that morning, your dad sent out four medical corpsmen and stretcher bearers to the battlefield to bring back wounded. That night, after we had dealt with something like 119 wounded men in 12 hours, Tony said. Now, think about that. 119 guys, not with bumps and bruises. We're talking about lost limbs, gashes from shrapnel that he and my dad are dealing with. Suddenly, dad realizes, Tony tells me, the four guys haven't come back. It's his job. He's a sergeant. It's his job, responsibility to go get them. So he goes out through what was a minefield. He's looking for places that didn't explode on the first pass by guys who had gone into the battle. In the nighttime, he finds the four guys, two wounded, two disoriented, and one by one by one by one, he brings them back to the first aid station, saves them, and is awarded the bronze star. And I remembered the ribbon he'd given me. It had a bronze star on it. All of this I discovered after he was gone and realized that was the thread of a book, just like Don's, to give people a sense of what it was like to be there, even if you had no sense of being a soldier before the war came along.
0: Unbelievable. I want to integrate and... um and uh, infuse some stories from audience members into our conversations today. We're treating the show a little bit differently, the flow of it and the feel of it as we thank you for doing so, this. this. Well, is great. of course, I mean, uh, you know, part of me is like we should observe the stat. I, I know that there's obviously a, a, a national uh, remembrance service going on and we certainly will pause it. We won't be on air live at 11 o'clock Mountain Time, but we'll certainly pause for a moment. But I mean, you know, all these stories that we're getting from audience members, Kim Choi is watching right now. She says my uncle drove supply trucks filled Filled with gasoline for tanks to the front line not combat but super dangerous nonetheless Kim says I'm not sure I'd be brave enough to do it I mean uh, driving uh, supply trucks full of gasoline to the front lines to gas up tanks I mean I'd be terrified to do something like that Don when you're telling these stories by the way did I blow it earlier did I d- d- just did I mention a movie? did I say 1919 the movie what I someone's called you, me. You my impo- i wasn't, I meant, gonna, wasn't I,
3: gonna call you I, out, no. I, no hey I,
0: i'm okay to be called out i, I <laughs> n- slip of the tongue 1917 obviously thanks to the, the audience members alike uh um unless there's another great movie called 1919 which i do not believe there is 1917 is the one i'm talking about but but the there's point- a great book on 1919 is that right it, mar- yes about Margaret the war? wrote yes it's about the first
4: world war she wrote a book called Paris, nineteen nineteen, huh. and it's about the post-war period when they negotiated the peace with the Germans and how it essentially set the battles and wars of the rest of the twentieth century. It's called uh, Paris, nineteen nineteen.
0: Wow, Tad, you're bailing me out. I appreciate it. But <laughs> there you go. You see that you'd obviously read it and <laughs> I, 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 I guess yeah, <laughs> that's right. But 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 the point is, and you, like these are these are civilians, and we've seen this through different uh, conflicts and we've seen it through different wars. These are like average, quote unquote, normal people. That, that did not they're not born for combat um, but that that stepped up and served and Don your book I'd, I'd love if you could take us into the idea of our father's footsteps um, you know that you, you've sort of caught yourself a couple times saying D-Day instead of Remembrance Day which I actually think is great because clearly that's one of your frames of reference today is thinking about D-Day and I think of these boats that landed you can do a better job of telling the story than I can But these these open they're basically built out of plywood and a little bit of steel and they're landing on these beaches facing fire. Uh, It's hard to even comprehend what these people would have been going through and and, uh, you know, literally
3: wondering at any moment if the lights were going to go out, you know. A couple of years ago when we talked uh, just before I went to Normandy and after you had had an interview with one of the guys, it was 17, I think that helped to run the landing craft that yeah. groups of, of men like my dad were in. and as a matter of fact, he talked about bringing in the Royal Winnipeg Rifles. But um, the whole context of, uh, of D-Day and Remembrance Day, it kind of flows hand in hand because I think we lost 359 Canadians uh, on the beaches and part of the first uh, uh, parachute battalion uh, within the first 24 hours of D-Day. And uh, so there were some big losses. When you look at some of the losses in the months uh, during World War One that the British suffered, like 170,000 in the month. I think it was of Mar- of uh, November uh, October 2019 uh, uh, That's hard to comprehend in, in an entire month. But uh, so you think of all these different dates and the and the amount of uh, loss that we suffered. But uh, in in Doing my story, whereas a lot of the stories are done on a macro level talking about the battles, I've done an individual story of four individual men. Ted has done a good job of interviewing men over the years. My stories are taken from their letters, their journals, and talking about uh, and, and their letters home, telegrams that the families got. And uh, for instance, you talk about being on the beaches. <clears throat> One of the men was a royal engineer. And we always think of the movie D-Day or Saving Private Ryan. The guys land on the beach and in they go. And that's all you hear about it. Uh, The gentleman I wrote, the sapper from the Royal Engineers, uh, Harry Hilliard, he was on the beaches for months, unloading those ships that that uh, writer just ta- uh, that person had just written in about about the, the gasoline. He was unloading hundreds of tons of equipment off these beaches, and uh, you know, even on the 16th, uh, uh, the 6th of July, they were still being shelled on the beaches, and uh, he survived. But uh, a group of his, you know, he he left the area of the beach that they were bivouacked in. And uh, while he was gone, a shell hit the area and 16 of his comrades were wounded and nobody was killed, but they were all wounded. But you don't hear of these stories of the guys that were doing all of that. And uh, so those, that's the kind of the micro look I've taken. And um, the other three men in the story, two were with the Royal Winnipeg Rifles. One of the guys was wounded on D-Day, got a shrapnel in the nose. The piece of shrapnel fell out of his nose sometime in 1945 while he was reading a paper. And then he was wounded again in the Battle of Carpake. So, uh, And none of the men that I've written about lasted more, other than the sapper from, from England, lasted more than a month. They were all fortunately only wounded and allowed to come home. So we are the lucky ones that, uh, who have uh, managed to, uh, be, to grow up with the uh, with our fathers who survived those moments, so Ted, you were born after after the war. If your dad hadn't made it to that section, and that's what this whole "what if" for me is about, if he had gone out and stepped on one of those mines that uh, he was looking for, you and I wouldn't be talking to Ryan right now. So that's more what my story is, and hopefully, being able to have the younger generations look at this and 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 put faces to the it may be four different men that I'm writing about, but it's their grandfathers and their fathers and great-grandfathers that these stories are about. And I think, Ted, there was the comment that one of your uh, somebody that read your book said, um, this isn't my this is this story isn't about me, but it is my story How did that go?
4: Yeah, um, a veteran I talked to who had, read one of my books, I think it was my book about the instructors in the Second World War called Behind the Glory. They were the guys who trained all the aircrew here in Canada. He looked, you know, eagerly for his name in the book. But when he came to one of my talks, he said, Ted, my name isn't in your book, but my story is. Hmm. That's the most rewarding sentence I have ever heard as a public speaker, to know that, that hit the mark for a man whose name wasn't there. Ted what is it um, that- I wonder can I can I ask a favor can can you let me share an image with you because I want to tell if you've got the time of course. I've got a story I want to tease for tomorrow night I'll, if you let me share this with you please okay is is Sarah to get allow me to do that?
0: If are you sending it to Sarah? We'll do it live. Well, I no. I, I if you just let
4: me do the share screen because I'm getting hosted. I don't think we can do. I don't think
0: we can do share screen, unfortunately. All right. I'll, Sorry I'll about email that, it Ted. Her. Yeah, you can email, email it to it Sarah to and we can put it up there, or okay. email it just to Sam. Uh, yeah. Hey, no, Sarah. Okay, my team. This is why I'm not involved in the production of this show. <laughs> it, it would collapse very quickly. But uh, um, well go ahead sorry you were gonna ask a question well yeah I wanted to I wanted to ask you I mean I, well I've got a million questions for both of you but but uh you know hearing these stories and you know Don says you know for for the youth today to learn or for young people to gain this perspective and I want to I want to be very clear that I'm including myself in this comment or I'm including myself in this question do you think that like younger people I guess I'm saying those under 50 or those under 30 or whatever we want to say whatever the context is like it seems like a whole You're being people are just Were wired so differently It seems A uh, hundred years ago or 80 years ago And I just I don't Know and I mean I'm including myself In this I don't I hear These stories of like the landing at Normandy Or you know D-Day or this, These the, the bravery And the, the sort of commit I mean I just can't I can't relate I don't know if young people, if if maybe we're all spoiled or I don't want to use the word coddled, but I don't know that. I mean, was there something special? Everybody calls it the greatest generation. I mean, was there something special? I mean, of course, there was something special about these people, Uh, the women that made everything happen, the men that were there in service at that time. What was it about the I mean, it's just I don't think the average person a relatively young person today can, can quite frankly, relate.
4: One of the things that I spend a lot of time on, if I may, Ryan is and, and, and Don, one of the things I've discovered that's common among the Canadians in the Great War and the Second World War, and to a certain extent in the Korean War, we were not a country of a large regular army. That is, people who volunteered early on in their lives to become career soldiers. The Great War from 1914 to 18 and the Second World War from 39 to 45 depended on people who stepped up from civilian life, farmers, business people, students, laborers, lumberjacks, intelligentsia, and not. All the people who stepped up for service in First and Second World War volunteered to do it. And so they didn't have crisply kept, uh, you know, uniforms and snappy salutes, but they did have a sense of a task whether it was as a student completing a paper or a farmer bringing in the harvest or a lumberjack getting the wood to to market or a fisherman bringing in, or a woman who understood about homemaking. These people understood what tasks were about. That's why Canadians were so damn good at service overseas Mm -hmm. because if the right capability was applied against the right problem, the task was accomplished, and that's very much where Canadians' success, if you want to talk about it in the, that kind of phraseology, comes from in war was the ability to complete the task. Hence, in my book, Victory at Vimy, the tasks achieved over a period of three months to take that ridge on April the ninth to the 12th, 1917. Hence, the ability um, in bomber command to complete 30 ops over um, – occupied Europe and I've sent Sarah a photograph. Ted, we have it so we can, we can load
0: up your photo right now. Take us into this story. Okay.
4: Uh, Canada had uh, the better part of 10,000 men volunteer for uh, no more than that. I'm sorry. It's more like a hundred thousand served in the air force and they were, as I mentioned earlier, they were trained largely in Canada. Do so you know how many men we trained in this country between 1939 and 45, a quarter of a million men were trained to be pilots, flight engineers, navigators, wireless radio operators, gunners, bomb aimers, ground crew, riggers, fitters, all of the aircrew trades were trained in Canada. We spent one and three quarter billion dollars training aircrew. Among the trainees was a guy named Joe English, who's right in the middle of the photograph that Sarah has And if you look closely, he's probably the shortest guy. He's the pilot on this crew. This was a crew that flew a Lancaster. Uh, They called it, uh, they had a call sign uh, letters and numbers, and it was known as M for Mabel. These guys flew 30 operations over occupied Europe and survived and finished their tour of duty about the middle of April 1945, which meant that all eight guys could get on a boat and go home. They had done their service and survived, except that they were asked if they would do one more op, one more flight, perhaps a handful more voluntarily. They asked what it was. It was flying food to be dropped in the Netherlands over the greatest cities in the the country, populations of Harlem, Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, Utrecht, about five million people, civilians in those cities where the Germans allowed nobody to move were starving literally in the coldest they called it in in netherlands the hunger winter people were dying everywhere of starvation and queen wilhelmina who's in england pleads to the allies and to negotiate with the germans in the western part of the netherlands to allow low flights over the big cities to drop food joe english's crew knowing full well that maybe not all the germans will abide by the idea of allowing these corridors of flights of bombers at low level to go in whether they'll survive or not take on the task, and fly a bunch of trips with an operation known as Operation Manna, food from heaven. And these guys fly it, and the navigator remembers as they're flying not at 25,000 feet, but at 200 feet. In fact, some of the Lancasters were flying so low, they knocked the tops of haystacks off. That's how low they were so that the food they dropped wouldn't be destroyed when it hit the ground. And they went to... Uh, soccer fields and baseball, wherever the heck there were large areas in the big cities, and dropped this food, something like six thousand tons over a week, so that these people could survive. And they did this, and and the Dutch are absolutely ecstatic mm. that these guys have done this, and that this negotiation has occurred, and the tons of food is falling from the sky. And they took some of their greatest linens, their curtains, their tablecloths, some of their you know finest clothing, tore it all up into strips. And on the middle of one of those soccer pitches, the women went out and placed a sign with the linens that said, thank you, boys. And that's what Joe English did in his voluntary time at the end of the war. He said, finally, of the experience, he and the crew agreed on this, that it was uh, there was nothing like it. Uh, Bombing uh, the interior of Europe was one thing, but dropping food was the greatest mission of our lives.
0: That's unbelievable. You know, I hear and you talk about these voluntary missions and and I was reading a story yesterday about a, a fellow. I wish I could. I, I owe him the honor and respect of mentioning his name. I don't remember it, unfortunately, but who was served as a prisoner was a prisoner of war, was captured and then came back and served his country again. Or people that come back from from injury and re reenlist or, or, you know, put themselves back into service. And it just it's just absolutely remarkable. I can't I. For me, every Remembrance Day, I think it's okay to feel this way. I, I recognize that I'm not sure I have it in me, and, and it, it exacerbates or it heightens my gratitude and my respect. Um, I, I just, I'm just i really grateful for, the, for both of your perspective today for being willing to join us and to share some stories. I really want to make sure that people know where they can find the work that you're doing you can learn more about what don is doing don leavers the author of our father's footsteps by checking out don Leversbooks.com. and you can check out ted to learn more about what the author of days of victory canadians remember 1939 to 1945 is up to as mentioned ted will be speaking tomorrow night at festival place in sherwood park seven thirty p.m ted barris and david o'keefe History story, Storytellers, Liberation of the Netherlands and World War II. Uh, tickets are still available, and you can check that out by following the links provided. To the both of you, thank you so much for including us in, in what I know everybody wants to talk to storytellers like you on Remembrance Day. It means a lot that you spent some time with us here on Real Talk.
3: Thank you, Thanks Don. Thank
0: you, Ryan. Pleasure.
3: Thanks very much, Ryan. And uh, the Don Leavers books.com is just uh, under reconstruction. So it's okay. not much right at the moment. And uh, Ted, if uh, David ever, you know, gets sick and you need to call in a replacement, I'd love to love to join you sometime.
0: <laughs> Thanks very okay. much for having us, Ryan. I love it. Hey, I could respect Yeah, I, I could respect a good hustle, Don. I like that. That's good stuff. Uh, yeah. That event tomorrow night, Ted Barris is like, I mean, both of them are great storytellers. Ted, like I was saying, um, you know, I, you know, it's amazing when you talk to somebody and he's like in my book, blah, blah, blah. And then in my book, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, the guy's got 19 nonfiction books that are all unbelievable page turners. In just a moment, we're going to talk to Stacey Barker, from Canada War Museum on women in war. Uh, we've been asking you to send us your thoughts. What are you focusing on today? What are you remembering today? Carrie Bolton says, um, I think of my great uncle John and the thousands of others who never made it home and all of those who sacrificed and continue to do so. Look at that. I mean, this that is a photos back in the day. I mean, this is someone who who gave his life in service to his country, but photos back in the day. He looks so so young. Young. I mean, that is a young guy.
2: I I mean, not was does he only not only look young, I'm I'm sure he he was young. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. So that was Carrie's great uncle John. Uh, Lori, look at this. This is a powerful image. If you're watching this on YouTube, Laurie says yesterday, our re- residents at Discovery Place in Devon led their own personal ceremony. Now, this is World War II veteran Roy Hale, who's 101 years of age. He trained in Calgary when Pearl Harbor was hit and then served his country patrolling the West Coast. Uh, Lori says last year, his story went viral worldwide. I'm going to check that out. We'll look for the story of Roy Hale. Look at that. Look at that! Two people serving their country. There's Roy Hale, 101 years of age, wearing his poppy, shaking hands with a what obviously is I think a current serving member of the RCMP and the Red Surge. It's a powerful image right there. Steve says my father, uh, you know, tried to volunteer for every service, including the Merchant Navy, but he was turned down every time because uh, he was working in an aircraft factory building Halifax bombers. Uh, because of that he suffered the jeers and the derision of all the neighbors on his street on a daily basis hmm. Hmm. Chris says I've always thought of my grandfather John Eck On remembrance day, I've, you know what it just means so much to me to be even able to say Their names. the names Yes, say the names uh, the Ottawa Citizen, I know, will be, part- will be uh, rolling out an amazing initiative that it does on the 11th minute after every hour. The Ottawa Citizen today will be um, using uh, the power of social media and the availability of, of, of uh, information online to tell the stories of men and women who have served and, and in many cases given their lives in combat. It's unbelievable. The power of, of recognizing the names. Chris says so my grandfather John Eck on Remembrance Day. I've always thought of him served in the Navy fought in the Battle of the Pacific during the World War II but more recently says Chris I add Tyler Todd Uh, Chris says we did basic training together and he was killed in Afghanistan near the end of the war lest we forget there he is Tyler Todd appreciate you sharing that thanks very much in just a moment we're going to talk about uh, women and war and contributions that, that Canadian women have made through the years. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Of course, we want to remind you that this show happens because our sponsors support us in incredible ways. And that includes the team at Westworld Computers. They're your Apple experts. Whether you're looking to book a service appointment, get your hands on a new Apple Watch Series 7. Uh, maybe you want to learn a little bit more about this iPhone 13 or the Pro Max. That's my personal recommendation, the iPhone 13 Pro Max. You can find out all the you need to know about these Apple products from your Apple experts, independently family-owned for more than 40 years at westworld.ca. A big shout-out to our friends at Grand Dog Essentials. Just the other day, we had our quality raw dog food delivered right to our door. It's what they do on a weekly basis to Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta. If you're looking to improve your dog's health, if you're noticing signs, maybe the, the coat looks unhealthy, maybe the, the poop doesn't look so great, They're telling you something. You might do yourself a favor. More importantly, do your dog a favor by checking in with the team of nutritionists at Grand Dog. Don't forget the promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first-time order. And a big shout-out to our friends at Local Waste. Coming up tomorrow, we present another rowdy edition of Trash Talk. It's a good-looking edition of Trash Talk based on the emails we've received. It's not too late for you to get yours in. To talk at ryanjesperson.com if you've got something you want to get off your chest i wanted to read testimonials this week and you can go to their website localwaste.ca and and well you can read them for yourself i mean it's just essentially people that are that are talking about what a game changer it's been working with the team at local waste multifamily and curbside services business and commercial waste services yesterday we read a story of someone who said our home reno saw the stress level drop significantly because their bin was being managed by local waste that's who provided it they said the customer service was second to none you can learn more about them at localwaste.ca we wanted to take a second to remind you that our question of the week this week presented uh, by our official research and strategy partners at y station is about remembrance day now, we're leaving it open until the end of Sunday, day's end, around 5 o'clock p.m., but we're going to get into it a little bit today. It's called The Dashboard. We can take a look at some of the responses that we've got, and we're going to read an email. We got an email from Jerry uh, who, who was in touch with us right after completing the question of the week. said, I'm feeling a little bit heavy today, and Jerry shares uh, their thoughts, and I'm looking forward to that. But first, it's a real honor to have an opportunity to check in with Stacy Barker. Stacy is the historian for the arts and military history at the Canadian War Museum. Her work focuses on art and war and women in war. Uh, she'll be delivering a virtual talk on November 20th uh, for the World War Women Exhibition at the Red Deer Museum. Joining us live on this November 11th, Stacy Barker, welcome to Real Talk and thanks for making time for us on this very important day.
5: Oh, thank you. Nice to be here.
0: What is November 11th? What does Remembrance Day mean to you personally?
5: Well, to me personally, it's a time to remember, you know, people who served, those who we lost and also those they left behind. And um, I think about everyone on this day, um, those who served and so their families who were left behind on the home front and who, who had to deal with unimaginable loss at times.
0: Yeah, you know, we've got to a, a, I'm, I'm trying to do justice to the comments that our audience members are, are providing today and the insight they're providing. And Terry uh, really has her heart on her sleeve this morning, and she's talking about her grandfather who served said, you know, a lot of times family members paid the price. And uh, and and Terry says she's, you know, to paraphrase her message, uh, the legacy is a very complicated one because she and it sounds like maybe others, you know, were were victims of abuse uh, at the hands of someone who came back, uh, obviously injured, maybe mentally or emotionally injured from that war. These are the things that maybe are, are difficult, uncomfortable to talk about. We don't always talk about them, do we on Remembrance Day? But I think our understanding of the cost of service is deepening. And I think these conversations are very important. Mm
5: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, Certainly when it comes to women, I think it's also important to remember that uh, they made many vital contributions to the war efforts. Um, And these were total wars. We're talking about the first and second world war. They involved the entire population. Um, Everyone was drawn into the conflict and you didn't have to be in uniform to feel the impact of war in your life. Um, There was intense pressure to be patriotic, to do what had to be done. And women were not exempt from that. Um, And many wanted to take part and they wanted to help win these wars. Um, But their participation, you have to remember, was based on social factors prevalent at the time. Women are expected to conform to gender norms of the day, plays a huge part in shaping how the wars affected them, how they responded. Not everyone had the same experience. What you did and how you were impacted was shaped by your own personal circumstances, your background, class, ethnicity. Um, So it's a complicated legacy for sure.
0: That's what makes me, and this might, sorry, be in such an, I'm wondering, is this too obvious that I, that I, but that's what makes it so much more important to talk about. That's kind of the whole point, right? Of Remembrance Day in my mind is not to ignore the realities. And we think of, I mean, people talk about, and and I'm going to make a real generalization here, and it might be dangerous and unfair, and please feel free to correct me or speak out against it. But I've heard many people make so many comments about legions and why legions have been so important over the years. And people talk about, you know, my grandfather or my uncle or whomever just spent a lot of time just crushing beers at the legion. And when you actually think about it, what this was was in a way coping tools for people who I think were ill-equipped to understand, let alone manage The injuries that they sustained talking in particular about ptsd from service and there have been so many and that's just one angle i mean let alone what you're talking about which are also very important and we're about to get into these the stories of women in war uh for many many years these uncomfortable and difficult conversations and i think for in some cases for understandable reasons people say grandpa never talked about the war and you can kind of try to understand maybe why but we've not had these difficult conversations and i think that remembrance day quite frankly, is the perfect time to
5: do it. Yeah, uh, people didn't really want to talk about their war service. Um, And I find that when I speak to veterans, sometimes they don't want to get into it. Um, They don't want to dwell on it. And when they came back, they weren't really offered a lot in the way of support. And so they would have self-medicated. You know, they would have perhaps drank a little. Um, And their families would have felt that. They would have felt them coming home with that, that burden. And how do you cope with that? It's a little better today, but back then it was really, um, people just didn't talk about it. And I hear that over and over again. How do you respond? How do I respond to veterans who don't want to yeah. dis- Well, You kind of have to tease it out of them sometimes. And it's, it's especially with women, I find, often they don't want to really put themselves out there as having, you know, played a huge role, but they did. And you kind of have to talk them up a little bit and say, you know, you were a part of one of the first, women to be in the military you know you you did something special and you have to kind of get them to see it in that sense before they want to talk about oh yeah you know i did i did play a really huge role and they do have a lot of pride in their service and that's something that you need to remember as well
0: would you tell us about molly lamb boback
5: yeah molly lamb boback she is a well-known Canadian artist. Um, and she was a member of the Canadian Women's Army Corps, she became the first official woman war artist for Canada in uniform. So um, she's from Vancouver. Her father, Harold Mortimer Lamb, was a patron of the arts. She grew up around people like Fred Varley, A.Y. Jackson. These are members of the Group of Seven, of course, and they were themselves official war artists during the First World War. So when the Second World War rolls around, she's just fresh out of art school herself, and she decides to enlist And she really wants to be a war artist as well. And she kind of makes that happen for herself. She builds her brand when she's in the military. She makes herself known as an artist. She wins an army art competition. She gets appointed Canada's first woman war artist and she's sent overseas. And what she does, what she leaves behind is this amazing body of work that reflects her life in the service and the lives of service women that she served with. And we have that at the War Museum and it's a fantastic uh, collection.
0: The the uh, the art of storytelling uh, is so important, I think, because, you know, when, when you start to talk about the cost of service or the impact of service or the 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 meaning or lack of meaning behind certain wars or certain conflicts, so many of us have such a difficult time. I know that today's show just sort of feels like this sustained indictment <laughs> of, of those of us who haven't served and that's not my intent. Except to say that i I find it very difficult to relate uh, to what people who have served have truly given and I, and I want to have a meaningful uh, message when we talk about taking pause, lest we forget like what does that actually mean? What does our commitment mean?
5: Well, you know it's it's it is difficult. I didn't serve in the military, but i I study military stuff I study war in society I study the impact of war on human beings and it can get very difficult at times to kind of bridge that gap because I myself I don't know what it's like to be in the military I don't know what it's like to be in combat I don't know what it's like to serve in a war and yet somehow as a historian I'm put in a position of trying to interpret that service for people and it's not always easy to do and it's it's one of the hardest things to do is to understand the grief that goes along with the loss of war. And on a day like today, I just think about all those families who had loved ones who didn't come home. And uh, it's it's the hardest part for me, certainly.
0: When I mean, it's it's fair to say that wartime is, is, is a I mean, the word feels insufficient, but a challenging time for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were challenges in particular in the world wars? But but feel free to expand Uh, what were some challenges unique to women?
5: Unique to women? First of all, gender roles during the First and Second World War. I mean, women, this was a time when women were expected to do certain things and to not transgress into certain male spheres. But during the Second World War, of course, we bring women into the military. Before, they were limited to service as nurses. So during the First World War, we had approximately 3,000 women who served as nurses with the Canadian Expeditionary Force. But they wanted to serve more generally, and they fought for that right. And at the beginning of the Second World War, a lot of women started their own um, paramilitary organizations. Every big city had this women's auxiliary corps and they would wear uniforms and they would teach themselves military skills and drill. And their leaders went to Ottawa and they asked military officials for the right to serve. uh, And they were dismissed until around 1941, when we had a bit of a manpower emphasis on man, manpower shortage in the military. And all of a sudden, okay, we can bring women in because the more women we get in uniform, the more men we can move up the chain closer to combat. And remember Canada had at the end of the war over a million people in uniform out of a population of about 11 million. That's a huge commitment. We needed everybody all hands on deck, including women. And, but when they went into the military, they were kind of transgressing and a lot of people not a lot of people I would say some people in Canada felt a little bit uneasy with that because all of a sudden you have women moving into a sphere that was all male and you know there was something called we call historians call it the whispering campaign and it was basically rumors about these women who were serving you know are they moral what's going on here but so the military pushed back uh tried to portray them. Uh, as wholesome and which of course they were, but there was definitely some unease in terms of society and some destabilization in terms of gender roles. So that was a big challenge for women.
0: I don't know why I'm feeling a personal hesitation to ask you about this, but I feel like it's, Uh it's not a, it's not a real interview. If I don't Stacy, when we talk about, when we talk about women in the military uh, we cannot ignore. I mean, we got, we got a message from Jill earlier this morning, who says she seriously considered enlisting uh, a relatively young woman um, said, and it's the sexual assault scandals that have been plaguing the Canadian forces that dissuaded her from doing that. When we talk about women in service, how can we ignore talking about present day, uh, the culture that exists within the Canadian military? What's your perspective on on how that is properly addressed?
5: Well, I uh, I hesitate to comment on current events um, just because I'm a historian and I, I that's look into fair. the past. Um, but I would bring that up. I would bring up the fact that it has always been a bit difficult for women to move into these areas that are traditionally male. Um, it happened during the Second World War and it continued to happen. Uh, and I uh, that's why when I think about these women, I think of them as being truly brave on in many aspects in many respects because they not only were putting themselves out there when you put on a uniform you're accepting that you could possibly even if you're not in combat these women in the second world war were non-combatants but you're still putting yourself in danger when they were sent overseas they, they got on ships that were targeted by german u-boats uh, here we have molly lambeau back they're training to uh, wear gas masks so you're accepting a certain amount of danger when you put on the uniform already And I think when women enter the service, there's kind of a double burden there because they're entering as women. And there's always that danger that goes along with that wherever you are. And especially when you move into an area that is maybe not always welcoming yeah um but that's that's as far as i'll go in terms of uh commenting on current events stacy i really appreciate
0: you taking the question and you know we call the show real talk i was going to have real talk and it occurred to me that it's an important thing to address and i don't want to go through the whole show without talking about it because that's just a fact um, I'm so grateful that you made time for us today on what I know is obviously a very meaningful day for you and so many others. If people want to learn more about this this talk you'll be giving virtually on November 20th on World War Women, they can check out RedDeerMuseum.com. Just look under Exhibits and Events. Uh, we've been talking to a historian with Canadian War Museum, Stacy Barker. Thank you for this, Stacey. Thank you. You bet. You know, I mentioned our Real Talk question of the week. And I want to get to that in just a second. You can complete it for us. If you wouldn't mind, it takes two or three minutes. Do it as, as maybe your way today of honoring veterans or of taking pause. You know, lest we forget at RyanJesperson.com. Right at the top of the page, you'll see the link for question of the week. We got an email from Jerry who, who told us, uh, Jerry said he's feeling pretty heavy after working through our question of the week, said it's a, it's, it's a huge ask to unpack which I think is a good sign says I, I, I analyze things at length says Jerry some might say that I overthink but it's through these processes that my commitment to lifelong learning stays at the forefront of my consciousness and I'm able to challenge myself Jerry says I'm able to talk my way myself talk myself through difficult issues uh, I've unveiled my own hypocrisy in a way And I, you know, says Real Talk is a daily catalyst in this arena. An example of how to create safe, informative conversation to drive change, Jerry, I really appreciate that says now on Remembrance Day, Jerry says, you know, this history surrounding the rise of fascism in Europe and the nationalist and populist movements that allowed these governments to seize and hold power. It shows us a slow burn where a lot of prominent people watched and didn't intercede near early enough and we have these conversations today like when something bad is taking place in front of us should we step in you know like an assault at a transit station you know do we step in what is our duty as citizens do you know do we stop at motor vehicle accidents are we accomplices by way of silence you know must I tell my friend that they're a racist you know what do we do And I think people need to face themselves and take responsibility for the type of world they want to shape. Don't just let things happen to us. We must be the change. We must drive politicians and religious leaders and military personnel to act. Remembrance Day, says Jerry, a day built on unnecessary death and destruction should serve in a way as an annual warning to us all. We must remember not only those lives lost and sacrificed, but why and how these things happen and that these lives are people, people whose stories ended early, painters, mathematicians, oncologists, sculptors, sociologists, teachers, truck drivers, maybe astronauts, never realized children, murdered. It's heavy stuff, says Jerry, but it's real. And we're so lucky in Canada that we have the time that we can put that time aside for open conversations like these. And for that time, we can never repay those whose blood was spilt to buy that time. We can pay forward for all those who come after us. We owe reflection to the past, understanding to the present, and action to to the future jerry signs off peace and love it's an amazing email i really appreciate that as mentioned our question of the week remains up and we, we we would be honored if you would take a few minutes to complete it for us today we dropped in on the on the dashboard it's called we can see how the question is going through the week and we pulled a few comments by we i mean our, our amazing friends at y station our research and strategy partners we asked what will you Due to mark remembrance day this year this comment jumped out i do not wear a poppy because too many people wear them just because it is the expected thing to do and on the 12th of november it just goes back into their sock drawer until next year i do contribute to the poppy fund and the sad reality is most people don't even know what the fund is or what it does The people that wear these custom poppies without donating to the poppy fund are missing the purpose of the poppy. It is the single largest fundraiser for the legions and the good work that they do. I help veterans with service dogs for PTSD four or five times a month. Remembrance Day is not one day for me. It is my life because too many gave their lives or their quality of life. That's a powerful thing to say. I witnessed busted limbs, and I witness broken minds. I speak with many, and they help me more than the tears on my face can ever say. Wow. Another one of you said you're going to purchase digital poppies in honor of your grandfathers. Another one of you said you're going to run tributes to local veterans on your museum Facebook page. We asked you, as fewer and fewer veterans from World War II are still with us, do you think the way that we present Remembrance Day should change? One of you said we must look past the battlefields and think of the sacrifices that families and loved ones live with every day. We must remember the ones with missing limbs and broken minds. One of you said I was in the moving industry and the worst move that any mover has to do, I've never thought of this before. The worst move that any mover has to do is move the possessions of a fallen soldier and take them to the parents or their life partner or their kids. There's a very strict protocol to follow, and many times there's a chaplain there. I've driven across this country on too many trips I wish I'd never had to make. Wow. Another one you said, I think it's critically important that we continue to honor the sacrifices of those who served in both world wars as well as more modern conflicts. I also think it's important that Canada reflect on its role in the world stage and which conflicts we choose to participate in. Another one you said, I'd like to see more of a focus on not glorifying war, especially in light of recent struggles facing society, which are far more pressing, perhaps COVID, climate change. But there's considerably less emphasis on the scale of what is considered to be solemn. Hmm. We asked you about raising the the flag back. Flags, of course, at Parliament and across the country have flown at half staff for quite some time since June or so when we started talking more meaningfully about residential schools. Uh, One of you said there needs to be a more permanent recognition of Canada's treatment of First Nations and indigenous people in Canada. If we're going to be performative, let's install the orange commemorative flag alongside every Canadian flag. More importantly, let's listen to indigenous people and respond to their pain and meet their needs. While our settler community inflicted wrongs on these people, our guilt is irrelevant and we need to get more real. I appreciate the comments. I'll read more from our question of the week as the show goes on. In just a moment, I'm expecting incredible insight with regards to Canadian participation in Afghanistan from a frontline medic and a frontline war correspondent. That in just a moment. Right now, a quick pause to remind you that our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge have the best selection of Jeeps in the entire province of Alberta. More than 650 vehicles in stock for the first time in more than a year at Sherwood Dodge alone. And they can share their inventory which means that you're always going to get better selection than you would anywhere else they've also got ram 1500s the back-to-back-to-back motor trend truck of the year for the best price for the best service they're proud of that it's how they earn your return business make sure you go see the teams at st albert and sherwood dodge you can link to their websites under the sponsors tab on ours ryanjesperson.com our friends at Dairy Queen Northwest Edmonton Sherwood Park—that's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road—want to remind you their flamethrower burgers available right now through the month of November. You can check this out: the all-beef patty and that flamethrower sauce. They've got the jalapeno bacon. This burger doesn't mess around. If you're in the mood to not mess around, maybe check out the flamethrower burger at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. I recommend certain blizzards to you, but then oftentimes you chime in and you say why don't why don't you ever talk about my blizzard and i go yeah that's fair you know hoyles is big on the score blizzard as an example i want to kind of almost say that maybe you have turned my tide a little bit really i've been a smarties blizzard guy for years years There's just there's this there's a simplicity to it the way that the smarty kind of Kind of like dissolves just a tiny bit into the ice cream that Dairy Queen soft serve is. But, but the score blizzard, I gotta give it to you, Hoyles. You gave it a go? I treated it on uh, Miracle Treat Day when they dropped off a bunch of blizzards for us. I, I did with you what I do in restaurants where someone orders and then I go, yeah, I'll just, I'll have that. That sounds good. I got the score blizzard just like you. And I'm gonna say, you may have changed my mind moving forward.
2: I don't know. I gotta try out that uh the top the, oh, the caramel oh my gosh. sea salt. It just sounds like a, a delicious explosion in my mouth. You had me a caramel and sea salt. I don't care what else is in it. Yeah. yeah. I agree. like that, that, that that's just a great, great dessert
0: right there. It's pretty much all you need. Can you tell that I'm frantically going through my notes right now so I can do like justice to that blizzard? I love that our in-studio band, our live studio band is just gonna <laughs> keep playing. They're jamming out today.
2: The thing that I love, I mean, that you know, it is Remembrance Day and we are reflecting. um, But the thing that I really think about and we're able to talk about blizzards is the idea that, you know, we're able to think of what folks sacrificed and then what that allows us to live our lives to the fullest and to enjoy.
0: 100%. And to
2: have laughter and to savor, like, even something as simple as a delicious dessert um, that to me is like that that wraps into the significance and the meaning of Remembrance Day.
0: Very well said. It's a sea salt toffee fudge by the way. I just I I, I I was able to track down the information. so it's like salted to- this Dairy Queen mentions like four minutes salted toffee pieces you know nobody's gonna mind if we were if we were doing four minutes talking about something really you know irrelevant or boring people would speak out but if i'm talking about salted toffee pieces rich fudge caramel topping world famous soft serve no no one's gonna mind you can find them at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park now you go how's he gonna segue out a dairy queen into talking about afghanistan it's real talk it's real life this is what we do i like the way you put it like you sort of you we we do approach there's a certain like for example our friends at prairie catering understand we're not doing eat your words It would feel weird it's remember i'm not going to be all theatrical and ridiculous we'll push that to tomorrow but at the same time it's real life these are these are men and women that serve their country they they have laughs with their their colleagues you know their their fellow service people and, and and i would imagine tears too and um there there's it's we keep it real and we try to have conversations or create a, a venue, uh, an arena, if you will, where we can just say what we think and feel out loud. And it's special to know that there's an audience that's along with us for that ride. Catherine O'Neill is is an amazing friend of this show. As a matter of fact, she's a, a member of our editorial board. Uh, she's the CEO of the YWC of Edmonton. But but in a previous career, Catherine was a celebrated journalist uh, for Canada's national newspaper, for the Globe and Mail, including Time as a war correspondent. During her time as a war correspondent in Afghanistan, she she covered Stephen Ferry. And we're going to get into that. I'm not going to tell the story. They're here to tell the story. Stephen Ferry grew up in Lacombe and Panoka, Alberta, uh, joined the military once he graduated from high school. He served his country for 17 years up until 2018, and he's now a firefighter with the city of Edmonton, um, Stephen, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us and, and welcome to the show today. I've been asking all of our guests what Remembrance Day means to you, and and Stephen, as someone who served his country for the better part of two decades, I know that many people will be eager to hear how you respond to the question. What does today mean to you?
6: Well, thanks for having me, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is humbling and and nerve wracking at the same time, mm-hmm. but uh, you know. Uh, Remembrance Day is a a great day for me. I I love to drink beer on Remembrance Day. I love to celebrate my health and my family. And I'm I'm just very grateful on Remembrance Day. And uh, I appreciate people like you having shows like this where we can discuss our stories
0: well and steven can i say how much i appreciate because because i feel like if i were to say you know what i'm going to do on remembrance day is i'm going to drink i'm going to crush a few beers and have a few laughs i think people would maybe see it in a way as a little bit disrespectful if it was misinterpreted right they'd say well hang on a second today's supposed to be a day of reflection today is supposed to be a day that's somber uh take us into sort of how you get to the point you're at and and, and why it's important, why you approach it from a somewhat of a celebratory perspective. Cause I think that that's not what most people might assume you might say.
6: Well, I I think Ryan, there's a, there's a time of the day that's meant for reflection and and that's coming up at 11 o'clock. But once we've moved past that and we've paid respect to, to all the soldiers past and present, that it's time for us to celebrate all the great things that we have in Canada uh, our safety, um, our amazing country. And we can do both. We can respectfully reflect, and then we can re- respectfully be grateful for everything we have.
0: That's an amazing perspective. Catherine, in a second, I'm going to ask you to read your Twitter thread that introduced me and thousands of others to Stephen and reminded us of what a powerful experience it must have been for you as a war correspondent. But before we get into that, Um, You're obviously wearing your poppy today. What does Remembrance Day mean to you, Catherine? I would imagine there's many different layers to it.
7: Well, again, thank you for having us as well, Ryan. um, It's a real honor to be here, particularly with Stephen on this day. Um, You know what it means to me? I'm always just really grateful. Afghanistan gave me this perspective of just not taking anything uh, for granted. You know, even the freedom to walk, across the street, uh, there's no safety in Afghanistan. I, I got to meet a lot of women and girls when I was there. Many couldn't leave the compounds they were born in, didn't go to school. Those are things that I don't think a lot of Canadians understand, even and even the freedom to, to have food. Like there there was almost no food in, in some of the areas we traveled in and, and people were eating potatoes and onions. So I'm ve- I think about it every day, it, Afghanistan, you know that experience beyond being grateful for just you know being able to come back and live a life. Um, I also reflect on just being thankful for folks like Stephen um, and other soldiers who have stepped up over the years to volunteer, go to war, and um, and to and to fight for our freedom. So it's it's a really complicated day for me, but it's also a day to be grateful.
0: Catherine, um, I'm so grateful that you and Stephen agreed to be with us today. I'm going to ask. It doesn't make sense for me to read your Twitter thread. You're the storyteller. You're the one that was writing about Afghanistan for the Globe and Mail there. Um, We're going to put it up on the screen. Would you read the thread for us and then we'll dig into it?
7: Sure. I'd love to. I'd love to. And I'm joining you today from Pinocchio in a Mm. a hotel room. So it's all going to make sense once I read the story. Um, Yeah, it'd be an honor. Okay. So, So here it is. Yeah, so last Saturday I posted this and I'm really, it's been, an, it's just been exciting to see the reaction to it. So it starts out, remember and stay thread. The email arrived out of the blue last February. Good afternoon, ma'am. How are you? My name is Stephen Ferry. You and I met in Afghanistan in 2008 when you joined my platoon. If it helps jog your memory, I was the medic. And there's some photos of Stephen, and some of the, the soldiers that I was with during, during this experience I'm going to talk about. In 2008, I was working for the Globe and Mail, sent to cover the front lines of a faraway war halfway around the globe. The other war, the forgotten war, the good war, the Afghanistan war. I arrived in spring when the poppy harvest and fighting season was in full swing. At one point, I found myself stuck for more than a week at a tiny Canadian military outpost near Zangabad in the lawless and violent Panjway district. The only way in or out was by foot due to landmines. Supplies were dropped out of helicopters. I was the only civilian. It was in Zangabad where I met Stephen Ferry and about 40 other incredibly brave soldiers all holding the line in a war most Canadians never gave a second thought about. I wrote about life at the isolated and dangerous outpost here. When I finally left Zangabad, it was in the dead of night. We walked in giant zigzags and often through water to avoid landmines, snipers and the heat of the intense Afghan sun. Around sunrise, I took this photo and it's a photo of a line of soldiers walking towards a sunrise. When we finally arrived at our destination, I said goodbye to the soldiers, including Ferry. Many asked for me to email their families to let them know they were okay. I kept my promise. I also sent photos and it was that sunrise picture that spurred Ferry's email all those years later. I'm gonna read the part of the email that I posted there because if you're online listening to this, it won't make sense. In the email that that Stephen wrote it said, I'm reaching out to you now to ask a bit of a favor. You took a photo of us making our way back to Spurringar very early in the morning. You're generous enough to share that image with my folks and they still have it hanging on their wall. I also have a copy hanging on my wall and it's the most important photo I have of a military career that was close to 20 years and with seven deployments. Ferry wanted permission in 2021 for the photo to be used for a war memorial being created at his high school in the town of Panoka. A teacher by the name of Ron Labry had created a hall of honor and he needed photos of the Korea and Afghanistan wars. And in that email part, he wrote, they are preparing to designate two new classrooms honoring those wars. The reason I bring up your photo is because each classroom has a key moment etched into the windows. Ron has asked me if I know of a photo that would be suitable for such an honor. I immediately thought of your photo. I was wondering if you'd be okay with that photo being used in such a context. A lot has happened since Ferry's email last February. The war in Afghanistan officially ended in August with a dramatic withdrawal of American troops. It's been incredibly hard to watch Knowing how unsafe that corner of the world has become again, particularly for women and girls. And no matter your opinion about that war, this Remembrance Day is going to be hard for Canadian soldiers like Ferry, who went there to make a difference. Many lost friends, some were injured physically or mentally. There isn't a day that goes by where I do not think about what I saw. Back in Pinocchio, a small prairie town in central Alberta, the small but mighty Afghanistan war memorial at Pinocchio secondary campus is now ready for November 11th. Thanks for your service. Warrant officer, Stephen Ferry, lest we forget.
0: That's amazing. I can hear the emotion in your voice, Catherine. Warrant officer Ferry. Can we hear it from your angle? I mean, that's, a remarkable photo. I don't know if you remember the exact moment it was taken. Perhaps you didn't realize that this journalist from the globe and mail was taking that photo at the time. Obviously carries great meaning for both of you. What do you remember about that time in your service?
6: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ryan, I I'll, I'll tell you this. We didn't know that Catherine had actually reached back to, uh, back to Canada to our folks. And, and I actually came home from this tour and saw this photo on my parents' wall. And I said, where on earth did you get that? That's amazing. Um, Photos like this, a lot of soldiers don't have because we have other things on our mind right now while we're walking. Um, There's security to worry about. There's simply powering through a, a long walk with a heavy pack. And there's few moments from my career where they were captured from a third party. So I absolutely remember everything about that night and that's because of that photo, Catherine. Can I ask why? Uh,
0: um, I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're you're wiping a tear from your eye. I can hear that, you know, and I know you to be an extremely confident communicator. So it's it's not a small thing uh, when you show emotion, and 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 I love it. Um, what are you feeling right now?
7: It's. I'm just really. I just. It's it's difficult. Afghanistan is, is really difficult for me because it uh, absolutely transformed my life. The things I saw, as I said, I think about every day. The men, I, you know, the soldiers I met, uh, you know, it was just an honor to get to know many of them, to see the service that, that was happening in Afghanistan. I don't think a lot of Canadians, and I said that in the tweet, understood how dangerous it was um, and how, um, you know, many were there trying to just provide simple security so that roads could be traveled, that you know, um, schools could be opened, that all of these simple infrastructures that we have in our society that we all take for granted um, are were a luxury in Afghanistan, and it's really hard because of the fact that in two, you know, in August, to watch th- that the the complete end of that war. Um, there was just so much sacrifice. I I personally knew a soldier who lost both legs two days after I left him after an operation. i covered four ramp ceremonies in six weeks during that time I was there. And there isn't a day that I just don't think about the lives that were affected and the the, the people that I met during that tour.
0: Steven, how, how is your service different or, or made unique, um, serving as a medic to me, there's there's you're still uh, I don't know if you prefer the phrase, but you're still in the line of fire. You're still facing great risk. But there's kind of in my mind, like an added danger. There's an added complexity to your role as a medic.
6: Well, being a, a medic attached to an infantry platoon is probably or or any element of the combat arms is probably, from my perspective, the the greatest privilege in the military. Uh, you're trusted, you help, um, you're there, guys count on you. Um, Saving a life is harder than taking one. And Mm -hmm. to me, being a medic, uh, attached with those guys who took so much risk, it it was just a huge privilege. And I have to say too, Ryan, um, like Catherine, I was a guest with that platoon. Uh, My first tour to Afghanistan, I backfilled uh, medics that were on leave or were uh, injured and just needed some time out of the field. So, my time with those folks was brief as well. There was another medic that uh, was full time with those guys, but being attached to them and being trusted, you know, you were, you were the confidant for secrets. Um, the, the information that they trusted you with, it was a real privilege. And then the opportunity to give them the confidence to do their job, that if something happened that I would take care of them is, is a real honor.
0: Stephen I want I hope it's okay if I ask you about the mental health angle of service you know we, we, we've been talking about the idea of shell shock the role that legions played and I and I'm not saying that as a slight against legions at all uh, what I'm trying to recognize is that for decades people that served have self-medicated with really a societal lack of understanding let alone resources um, to treat injuries like PTSD. Um, you know, you've you, you've you've worked in service, you've saved lives, you served your country for almost twenty years. Now you're a firefighter, and uh, and we know that there are that oftentimes there's a price to pay when it comes to mental health for first line, a uh, frontline responders, first responders. Um, what did you take away from your time in the Canadian military, and what do you think of in the context of mental health on a day like today? Uh, where we know that so many people feel much pain and and many times the idea of the walking wounded certainly includes those that are suffering from mental health injuries. What's your perspective?
6: Well, I I think the first part when it comes to defining what service is, uh, it's important that everybody remembers that service isn't defined by deployments. It's defined by the willingness of a person to commit to signing the dotted line and, and serving their country. There's no overtime there's no union, there's simply duty. From my perspective, I think that people need to feel however they want to feel. I, I personally found that uh, Afghanistan and the military have given me an opportunity to move into a fire career. They gave me the, the emotional strength, uh, the physical strength, the, the attributes to have a second career. Um, but, you know, I'm just grateful That uh, physically and and for the most part mentally, I'm very healthy. I just think it's important to understand and allow people to feel how they want to feel. There's no way, there's no specific way that that a veteran should feel about anything. It's it's up to them. And I just hope that everybody who needs help is able to find that.
0: Catherine, I every remembrance day i think of a former colleague of mine i won't say that i knew her well but i did know michelle lang at the calgary herald uh michelle was killed uh as a war correspondent uh when her convoy uh hit uh basically a landmine uh, and um uh, I, I i think of a life that was i mean um had such bright promise and she was such an accomplished writer and and i wonder um uh, i don't know if you knew michelle or not but as having you having that experience as a war correspondent that, that most storytellers, most journalists do not have that experience. It's a very unique assignment and your life. I mean, Michelle's death reminded everybody, I think, what comes along with being embedded and the risks there. Um, do you reflect, I would imagine, today a little bit on, on those that are, that, are, that are currently serving as war correspondents or those that have?
7: Yes. Yeah, and I knew I did know Michelle, and, and several of my closest friends were 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 very close to Michelle. And um, I always think about her on Remembrance Day. I actually had a long car ride with her uh, two months before she died, where we were driving back from Banff to Edmonton. Um, she was going to visit someone, and we were talking about Afghanistan. She was really excited about going over. She was looking for advice. And at the end of the day much like me was really excited to bear witness you know to be on the ground uh we are unarmed when we go into combat you know journalists are unarmed i think people forget that uh we're unarmed we're wearing blue flag jackets when we stick out because you want to you know show that you're press but i don't think that really matters in a war zone i think it you know the Taliban do not care who's press, and they probably thought the blue was just an easier target. To be quite honest, that's some real talk there. Um, but Michelle, really, her death was a few days before uh, Niers. It really uh, just reminded journalists of just the risk that you're taking. You know, journalists are very love to go to where things are happening, and often are you know sometimes forget the huge risks that they're taking on and uh it really that death really reminded a lot of us to take a step back and to really think about our training think about what we're doing and thinking about um the sacrifices we were making and i want to add last night i briefly talked to steven and i didn't know this but steven was actually one of the crews that responded to um the bomb when when uh michelle was killed and we hadn't talked for i mean because we haven't talked since 2008 and that was that was devastating it's actually really stuck with me stephen because um to know that you were there right after she died um it's actually comforting because i know how good you what good person you are and um that that there were people that are that care that were there right when she died and we and i it just it gave me a bit of peace.
0: I don't know what to say right now. Um, Steven, can I ask you about that? I, I don't know what question to ask. It feels uh, almost inappropriate. Uh, I, it feels like a sacred time. Um, what's going through your head right now?
6: Well, you, you know, Ryan, the the Army can be a big place sometimes in the army can be a small place sometimes. And, and the way that you cross paths with people can, and the way that your lives intersect can be incredible. Uh, I was part of the QRF or the quick reaction force that responded from the uh, Kandahar PRT in the city to go support those troops that were in the Dan district, which was supposed to be a model district at that point, uh, to what was a catastrophic bomb. And I think it needs to be mentioned too, that, uh, four soldiers also lost their lives and, yes. and, and a handful yes. were injured, but uh, it, it was certainly troubling. It, it was a, a massive event. It was a huge tragedy for the country. Um, but when I think about it, I think of the first set of hands that were there to support those, those folks that were injured and they truly deserve the credit. We came as support and we did everything we could to, to provide security, uh, to get all the wounded uh, on helicopters and off to the hospital. But it, it just really is a small world. And, and I, I, those are the people, those families I, I truly think about on Remembrance Day. I, I know they won't treat today the same way I may, but uh, I hope they have the support they need.
0: Well, uh, Stephen, I already wanted to buy you a beer. And uh, now, knowing, that, uh, knowing this, which I didn't know, um, I'd like to buy you a few more. And uh, I'm so grateful for your service. I'm so grateful that you agreed to talk to us today. Catherine, uh, you know, it'd be impossible for me to respect you any more than I already do. Uh, Your work as a journalist has has been incredibly powerful. And the work you're doing now uh, in a different avenue, uh, just absolutely amazing with the YWCA of Edmonton. Thanks for making time for us today. I know today's a huge can day. I add, Please do. Can I add
7: one quick thing, Ryan? I yeah. just, again, I want to thank Stephen for agreeing to do this and, and and sharing the story. But we also really, both Stephen and I, want to thank Ron, the teacher from Pinoka, that has, for the last decade, been building this Hall of Honor in a, in a small high school, in a small prairie community. Um, those are really it's hard work and the fact that he's done this and I'm in Panoka today to not only attend uh, the cenotaph uh, ceremony in Panoka but to go in, into the high school and look at this memorial and I, I really hope as a call to action that Canadians think about how can I commemorate this war so that we remember the sacrifices of folks like Stephen and the folks that did not come back from this war. Um, it uh, That is something if we take anything away from today that we remember this and that we do something in our own communities to commemorate this war
0: it's so well said i'm just realizing i haven't even asked like the most obvious question Stephen, which is what what does that hall of honor mean to you (laughs) like i know i already know let me get ahead of what you're going to say you're going to talk you're going to deflect the praise and you're going to be humble and you're going to talk about i was you know i already so let's skip all that stuff and what does it mean to you
6: well, the important thing with that Hall of Honour, Ryan, is that uh, Ron the Breeze, a, a great human and, and he's a, a humble, quiet man, but the way that he has gotten not just this, this facility created or, or this hall created, but the buy-in, the buy-in that he gets from the community, from his students, from the staff at the school, it's incredible. Uh, and if you could do me one favor. I would love if you could put me in touch with the right person to to help uh, bring more attention to the Hall of Honor at the Padoka Secondary Campus. It's a, uh, uh, it's amazing.
0: Consider it done. Uh, done. Yes, sir. Um, Lisa on our live chat says, I think we all want to buy Steven a beer. <laughs> so maybe, maybe what we'll do is we keep promising everybody this Real Talk tailgate party as soon as we can start throwing big parties again. And getting everybody together. So we'll just make sure that KO, as we call her, Catherine O'Neill, we'll make sure that KO and retired warrant officer, Stephen Ferry, now a firefighter, we'll make sure that both of you are there at the tailgate. Uh, thanks for this. It's, uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be processing what happened in this interview for a long time. Anyway, thank you. And thanks both for being here. It means a lot.
7: Thanks, Ron.
0: Yeah. Whew. That's real talk. I didn't, how would I know that Steven was a medic that was on scene at the uh, I mean Anyway, not anyway, why do I say that word? Anyway, it's such a stupid throwaway word It's what I use when I'm like uncomfortable or awkward or don't know what to, it's like a bridge word, right? <laughs> I say to, anyway
2: to fill the to fill the space to fill the space, but yeah. it's okay
0: to just have the space
2: Let it like let it, there be
0: let, space. Let it breathe. Mm-hmm. Just let a moment breathe. It's real I mean, I, I I checked in on our live chat I was staying away from the live chat because I knew you guys were gonna make me cry and uh, and I and I was staying away from it and I went back uh, and, and it's just hearts. <laughs> it's just hearts from people like Hope and Smurphy and Kim and Patrick and Lisa and Sharon and Linda Ray and Jillian and thanks everybody for being here. It's a special day. We're going to um, sign off in a second because we know that, that it's important that people have time to get to, you know, we're doing this on Mountain Time. It's 45 minutes to 11 o'clock. You need time to get to the cenotaph. You need time to prepare yourself mentally for for the moment or two of silence that you're going to take at the top of the clock. Um, we're so grateful for the support of our partners like those at Eden Landscaping that make sure that we're on the air every single day. Uh, Eden Landscaping, you can find them online at landscapeemington.ca. They've been bringing outdoor spaces to life for more than 20 years, earning the return business and the referrals of their satisfied customers you can check out their portfolio online again at if you if you'd like to see what they can potentially do for you Uh, you maybe have a pinterest board going with some of the ideas that you think might be a great fit on your property mike's on pinterest he tells me at eden landscaping he can put a plan together for you maybe through these winter months so you can hit the ground running in spring with that dream space a reality Also, big shout out to our friends at Friesen Brothers. We recognized them earlier this week for setting aside space, not just metaphorically or hypothetically, literally setting aside space, retail space, in their stores to commemorate Remembrance Day. This was from JD, who sent us a note. JD said, in a time where stores are so eager to get to their Christmas displays, wanted to give a shout out to the Friesen Brothers in Stony Plain for honoring our veterans. And that comes from us as well. Uh, much respect to the team at Friesen brothers 16 locations across the province of alberta for more than 65 years alberta grown and alberta owned. thanks to our friends at y station we have some highlights pulled from our uh, question of the week it remains open and we would love if you would participate at ryan it's right at the top of the page we asked when you contemplate the sacrifices made in war on remembrance day what do you think about the most One of you said the incredible losses to ordinary families because politicians of the day failed to ensure peace. Another one of you said how lucky we are for leadership and courage at the time and how divisive we have become and that those who gave the most may be disappointed in us. Another one of you said how those who enlisted and served just did so so selflessly for the betterment of life for all, not just themselves. One of you said, I think of the lives who've been changed by somebody serving. This year, I had a 19-year-old nephew join the army, and it's already been life-changing for him and us. I also had a grandfather and an uncle serve in the army. Nobody died, but they were badly wounded mentally, and it has had serious consequences for me as I was sexually abused by them when they came home. There are more sacrifices than just having a family member die. That's real thank you to those of you that have participated already of course next week early in the week we'll review the more complete results of our question of the week and of course our patreon subscribers will receive the full top line report to their email inboxes Coming up tomorrow, a Friday show. We're going to bring you Eat Your Words presented by Prairie Catering a day late. It'll be coming up on Friday. We've got an amazing panel lined up, names you'll recognize, national correspondents talking about the news of the day, including a reflection on Remembrance Day, and of course, another edition of Trash Talk. You can get in your rants to us by sending us an email right now to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Today, we remember, lest we forget.
1: World. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer Sam Brooks. Managing director Josh Dunford. Account coordinator Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations Katie Cook Chivers. Website design Mike Johnston. voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola.